The opioid crisis hits pets too. It's terrifying because you can't control what your dog is doing. Owners on alert after suspected dog overdoses at a local park. Troubling transmission of respiratory infections. We're seeing mostly mild illnesses in these outbreaks, but we have had a few. From COVID to the flu, what's making people sick? And watch out for the windstorm. How rough weather could impact your long weekend travel plans. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. We'll get to those stories in a moment. But first, the targeted murder of a child and his father indicates a disturbing escalation in gang violence. The shooting in Edmonton in broad daylight involves a man well known to police and could have repercussions here in B.C. Catherine Urquhart has more on the death of 41-year-old Harpreet Uppel. Mourners leave flowers at the scene of a double shooting in Edmonton, one that took the lives of 41-year-old Harpreet Uppel and his 11-year-old son. Don't feel safe anymore. Yeah. And bright daylight and oh my God. Even more disturbing, police say they were both killed intentionally. Once the shooter or the shooters learned that the son was there, they intentionally killed him, shot and killed him. So he was not caught in a crossfire or killed by mistake. The two were gunned down around noon Thursday outside an A&W in southeast Edmonton. A second child was in the car and was not physically harmed. Later, a burned-out vehicle was located and police are determining if the incidents are linked. I'd characterize it as these people are involved in this violent activity. These people don't care who gets in their way, whether it's a child, or someone else. Uppel was well known to police and had been charged with numerous drug-related offenses. The gangster was targeted before. In 2021, Uppel was at an Edmonton pizza restaurant with his family when shots were fired at them through a window. He was seriously injured, his family unharmed. And we had worked very hard over the years to try to warn and, and uh, give him opportunities to, to step out of that lifestyle and keep him and his family safe. Court files show Uppel faced several traffic-related charges in the Fraser Valley in 2004 and 2005, but there is no record of criminal charges in B.C. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A police incident in North Vancouver that brought out the emergency response team has ended with one person in hospital and another in custody. North Van RCMP say they responded to a call at about four in the morning of an assault with a weapon at a residence in the 100 block of Takeo Place. The victim was safely removed and taken to hospital, but when the suspect stayed inside and refused to cooperate, the emergency response team was called. The suspect was finally arrested early in the afternoon. Police say there is no further risk to the public and the victim is in stable condition. Well, if you are not already on a ferry between Metro Vancouver and Victoria tonight, you are not going. The final sailing of the night has just left the dock after a forecasted storm led to multiple cancelled sailings. Troy Charles is live at Tawasson with more. Uh, it's already pretty blustery out there. What's the reaction been tonight, Troy? Sophie, there's been a steady stream of cars behind me here going through the ticketing gates all evening. And as you mentioned, the 6 p.m. sailing is the last one. That's it. The 7, the 9, the 10.30, all cancelled for what BC Ferries is calling 
adverse weather conditions. Environment Canada has warned of a vigorous frontal system due to cross the south coast with forecasted winds up to 90 kilometers per hour for parts of Vancouver Island and the Sunshine Coast. In response, BC Ferries has scrapped dozens of afternoon and evening sailings, including some of its busiest routes. The 7, 8.15 and 9 p.m. sailings from Swartz Bay to Tawasson all cancelled. Tawasson to Duke Point, beginning with the 8.15 from Duke Point all cancelled. Horseshoe Bay to Departure Bay, starting with the 805 from Horseshoe Bay, all cancelled. And there's plenty more cancellations on other routes. BC Ferry says travelers should check their website for the most up-to-date conditions. We can have difficulties docking and undocking at terminals and it can be really rough crossings which can be difficult on passengers. Well, because we are having to suspend service in the evening, uh, yes, I would expect there will be some pent-up demand tomorrow. Uh, so we do expect uh, some overloads tomorrow morning as well. Now, just adding on to what Marshall said right there, I'm seeing now the 7 a.m. tomorrow morning from Tawasa to Swartz Bay already full. Now, whether it's their ships breaking down or Mother Nature dealing them a, bra a bad break, Chris and Sophie, it seems like this bumpy 2023 for BC Ferries just continues. It's been a tough go, that's for sure. Thank you very much, Troy. Want Troy to get into the shelter as quick as possible there. Okay, TransLink doesn't exactly have the best track record when the temperatures fall and tempers flare during the winter months. But officials are promising... This year will be different, arming themselves with better tactics and better tires, too. Alyssa Tebow reports. Buses run fine on a typical rainy fall day, but once the snow falls, it's chaos. This year, TransLink says it will be ready. Every winter we take our lessons learned. During a big show-and-tell display, Coast Mountain Bus Company announced it will be rolling out new tyres on a third of its fleet, about 500 buses, and these ones have a more aggressive tread. They allow the snow to kind of come into the channels and then get pushed out of the side of the tyre. The company assures that both the new and older versions are the best money can buy. The new tyres that we're demonstrating are the same rating, they're just a different tread. And so we think that the, the more aggressive tread will perform better in the snowy conditions. Efforts are also being made to improve SkyTrain operations. More staff have been trained in de-icing and TransLink is promising extra personnel will be on hand at stations that need it, admitting last year's first snowfall caught them off guard. We had a storm in early November. It got us uh, to be much more cognizant of readiness sooner because last year's winter storm in November was unusually early. So we've moved up our readiness and our winter planning, as Mike mentioned, started in early fall. Other measures TransLink will be using include anti-icing techniques, tyre socks and smaller buses, but those have been part of winter preparations in previous years. Transit users we spoke to say they are hopeful about the new tyres. That will be great because <laughs> they can go anywhere. I'll give it a try. If they're getting new tyres, hopefully it'll be better. The new tyres will be trialled over the next year to see how they perform in all conditions and hopefully make travel in the snow a little less chaotic. Alyssa Thibault, Global News. A Vancouver woman is calling out WestJet after she arrived in Mexico, but her wheelchair didn't. Not only was the chair left behind in Vancouver, but as Travis Prasad reports, the series of mistakes didn't end there. 
Melanie Carlbeck has seen a lot of the world. Through all of the 73-year-old's travels, there's never been a problem with her wheelchair until now. It was very frustrating. Everything I came to do, I couldn't do. On October 31st, Melanie, who was born with spina bifida, took a WestJet flight to Cabo San Lucas with her sister. When they landed, they learned Melanie's wheelchair never made it on the plane and was still at YVR. We had taken all the precautions. We had registered it. We had made sure, I always make sure the tag goes on the front. WestJet staff in Cabo gave her an interim wheelchair. Melanie says not only was it far too big, it had fixed armrests, restricting her mobility and independence. My brother had to come and, and lift me in and out of bed. Um, managing in a washroom was really hard. Um, we had to make a number of improvisations. Her ability to do anything was minimal, and, and adding to that, you're wondering, are we ever going to get it for this holiday? You know, we couldn't plan whether we would do anything at all. Melanie's chair arrived in Mexico the following day and was delivered to her three days into the week-long trip. Adding insult to injury, the wheelchair's armrest broke on the flight back to Vancouver. There's things that stick out, so it's digging right into your hand. After calling Air Canada to Ottawa to address shortfalls in treatment of passengers with disabilities, the Ministers of Transport and Diversity, Inclusion and Persons with Disabilities will now meet with WestJet and other major airlines to discuss accessibility issues. They are really from end to end within the air travel experience, you know, whether it's pre-boarding, issues with assistance within the terminal, WestJet says in a statement it takes the transportation of mobility devices such as wheelchairs extremely seriously and we sincerely apologize that Miss Carlbeck's experience did not reflect this. The Carlbecks are taking a break from air travel for now, saying they need to see meaningful change before flying again. A training or a policy that is automatic, that, you know, when somebody shows up in a chair, they know what to do. Travis Prasad, Global News. Well, some good news today from BC's Provincial Health Officer about this year's respiratory illness season. That's right. There's a slight change in how the province says we should watch out for potential infections. And Richard Zussman has the details. It's long been the mantra since the start of the pandemic. Get vaccinated, wash your hands, stay home when you're sick. <laughs> but as we cough our way through the fourth respiratory illness season since COVID started, the language is changing. The things that we know are most associated with infections that can transmit to others are fever. And, you know, that's a marker that you have something that you need to pay attention to. Dr. Bonnie Henry alongside Health Minister Adrian Dix Friday, an acknowledgement from the province that locking down for every snap isn't practical or effective and being more specific when looking for symptoms can help prevent virus spread. If you have mild allergies for example you may not need to stay home. It's more uh, giving people some uh, specific advice on on the, the the things that are most important. The latest numbers show 244 people in hospital have tested positive for COVID BC-wide with eight in critical care down from where it was this time a year ago. Respiratory illness season is just starting and that's why we've taken action to improve access and flow teams in place for all of our large hospitals. So far, the vaccination campaign is off to a best-in-Canada start. A million 72,000 flu shots have been administered and 857,468 COVID-19 shots, with demand remaining high 
27,000 appointments were booked on Thursday. This is the time to get the protection as we're starting to see the viruses get, get more and more active in the community. So you'll have the best protection as we go into particularly the holidays. There has been a handful of hospitals with respiratory illness outbreaks, including here in Saanich on Vancouver Island, reiterating the need for the current mask mandate in hospital settings. We're putting in place measures to prepare for the respiratory illness season and to ensure that our healthcare workers are supported, but mostly our patients are supported. And although this year is better than last, the province is bracing for a potential post-Christmas spike. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. That's right, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. And Keith, we did hear at the briefing today, hospital beds are starting to fill up. Yeah, sort of a good news, bad news briefing today, as we reported. It's great that COVID seems to be leveling off, but people are going into hospital for other reasons at record rates. And there is concern in the next couple of months, things could get quite jammed in our hospital. Here's the latest statistics released by Health Minister Adrian Dix today. Uh, and you can see here uh, almost 10,000 base hospital beds. So the hospital bed occupancy is up to 344 people on a daily basis compared to a year ago. That's a lot. Any given week, anywhere between 97 100 and 10,000 beds are occupied by sick people, and it's likely we're going to exceed our existing record of 10,260 occupied beds uh, in January. So again, if we're going up 300, 400 uh, a day, that number is going to be exceeded big time today. Health Minister Adrian Nix explaining why the beds are the use of beds is soaring is attributable to a number of factors. We have many people coming to British Columbia in large numbers every year. And in addition to that, we have an aging population, increasing demand for healthcare services. And some of the consequences of the pandemic have led to an increase in that demand. So a lot of factors at play. So if you take the base beds and add what are called surge beds into the mix, uh, that's the total beds available in BC hospitals. That's about 10,439. If we put, add 344 onto that record number we had last January, that means it's conceivable we will have more people requiring a hospital bed than we have hospital beds in our system. Authorities are hoping, fingers crossed, we don't get to that point, but they are preparing for that just in case. Asking all of us to do our part too. All right, thanks, Keith. Right. Vancouver police are sharing more photos of a convicted sex offender who hasn't been seen since leaving his halfway house last Saturday. According to police, these pictures show Randall Hopley right before he left the halfway house. It's believed he's traveling on foot, wearing a hat and using cash to cover purchases. Police also say it's possible he may have cut his hair or changed his clothing to hide his appearance. The VPD also sharing photos of Hopley from 2018 and 2019 that show him with different hairstyles and a different appearance. If you see Hopley, you are asked not to approach him. Call 911 right away. Another troubling side effect of BC's illicit drug crisis pets potentially being poisoned. As Janet Brown reports, an enjoyable walk in the Queensboro area of New Westminster turned into a panic drive to the veterinarian. Diane Graton's dogs Tigger and Gaston were recently playing with her neighbor's dog when the unexpected happened. Suddenly her dog had a full seizure and started shaking and, and couldn't move at all. 
Gretton loaded her hysterical neighbor and cocker spaniel into her vehicle and drove them to a vet. It will give you a bit of a panic when you see your dog stiffing up and shaking and, and go, going for a full seizure and, and losing control of their bladder. It was suspected the dog ingested opioids. We don't know if it was a needle. We don't know if she steps on something. Taylor's been paranoid ever since. We're walking and she's checking everything on the ground. And she says another dog suffered similar symptoms and apparently tested positive for opioids. And now pet owners in the Port Royal area of Queensborough are on alert. Well, it's horrifying. I mean, this is such a dog neighborhood. People come here because you can have dogs and it's supposed to be a paradise for dogs. It seems like everybody in all the buildings are pet owners. And it all makes walking a dog a little more challenging. Because the dogs, they eat anything. <laughs> especially her, <laughs> my dog. You can't control what your dog is doing. They can grab stuff so quickly and they can swallow it quicker than they grab it. The SPCA says they are hearing of more and more pet overdoses and they're warning pet owners what to watch for. The first signs are being kind of wobbly and uneasy on the feet all of a sudden and it can happen fairly quickly even, you know, within 15, 20 minutes in some cases. New Westminster police say they haven't received any reports recently about pets ingesting opioids in the Port Royal area of New Westminster, and they're encouraging pet owners who do come across this situation to please give them a call. Some pet owners are now changing their dog walking routines. Probably not walking at night as much as possible, just so that we can see what he's sniffing or what he's getting into. Janet Brown, Global News. It is one of the most Instagrammable spots on Vancouver Island, but a lot of people put their lives on the line trying to get there. Growing concerns about the hordes of people going to the hole in the wall and what should be done about it next on the News Hour. It was a game changer during World War II, a new exhibit honoring the mighty Spitfire and the brave Canadian pilots who flew it, coming up later. And we're just going to leave this here. I see what you did there. Yeah, and explain who's <laughs> behind the rings later on the news hour. Right now, though, tourists and Instagrammers have been flocking to a popular hiking spot in Port Alberni, but it's not without its risks. The hole in the wall is considered well worth the risk for its otherworldly beauty. But as Kylie Stanton reports, there are many safety concerns about the attraction. Less than one and a half kilometers down an easy trail, a little effort for a big reward. It's a beautiful. beautiful, it's incredible. <laughs> The word is out, and Port Alberni's hole in the wall is getting a whole lot of attention. Come to Port, it's easy in, easy out. With every post on social media, the popularity only seems to grow. Much like the name suggests, the now Instagram-worthy destination features a hole in a limestone rock wall, the result of an old water line. But now a spring runs through it. And there's concern too many tourists run to it. Staff here at the Alberni Valley Visitors Centre have agreed they will no longer be promoting the site. Many people are driving past it, coming here and saying, hole in the walls around here somewhere, can you tell me where it is? And that's a very awkward uh, dance and thing to say, sorry, we can't tell you where it is. It's inaccessible right now. The only access to the area is through Mosaic Forest Management Land, meaning there is no available parking, leaving visitors to find space on the shoulder of Highway 4 or directly across at Coombs Country Candy, 
where they are left to dodge three lanes of traffic in order to reach the trailhead. And now we need to problem solve and work together to make sure that everybody can have the experience that they're coming here for. But what to do about it and who's responsible? Between the regional district, Mosaic Forest Management and the Ministry of Transportation remains up in the air. We are looking to uh, do a feasibility study. What could be some possible solutions to address both the access and safety concerns uh, to meet demand from the public wanting to go there. In a statement, Mosaic Forest Management said safety is Mosaic's highest priority and we look forward to continuing discussions on a long-term plan. But in the meantime, word keeps traveling fast. You trying to recommend to others or? Oh, absolutely. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Just ahead, Iranian agents targeting Canada. And it affects everyone. It's in our own neighborhoods. It's all over Canada. Allegations of crime and corruption perpetrated by the Islamic Republic right here on home soil. Plus, there's just so many pregnant women down here and not enough doctors. The healthcare shortage making a lot of new moms nervous in the Okanagan. BC lawyer says he has uncovered details about potentially dangerous individuals connected to the Islamic Republic of Iran living in Canada. The problem is so big, one local journalist reporting on the issue says he's getting death threats. Negar Moshtahedi reports. Iranian-Canadian lawyer Ramin Jewing is trying to get the word out about the dangers of the Islamic Republic in Canada. This is a bank statement of a defendant who is accused of money laundering and being affiliated to the IRGC. Canadian bank statements belonging to people allegedly linked to Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. Most violent individuals I can imagine. It's just go and grab women's hair and throw them in the curb. These individuals are allowed to live in Canada. They will not be prosecuted. That's just a fact. Jubin is identifying and investigating Iranian regime-connected insiders living in Canada. We have about 700 names right now um, that are either have temporary residence permanent residents or citizenship that are in Canada and that are somehow regime affiliates. 700. About 700 names. We're still counting, so it's going to be closer to 1,000. Zooming along with lawyers across the country created Stop IRGC, a group aimed at putting an end to the further spread of the regime in Canada and exposing those who were already here. The main categories, embezzlement, money laundering, threat, Describe to me some of the biggest things that you're seeing on your list and why this is so concerning. Impunity. Impunity, engaging in financial and violent crimes. And it affects everyone. It's in our own neighborhoods. It's all over Canada. Zhuing says Canada has quite the reputation in Iran as a safe haven. Some of them have citizenship. They've had citizenship for a long time. And they knew, okay, once I embezzle, I can go to Canada and live a lavish life in West Vancouver or wherever. Zhubing says they come to Canada with millions of dollars. Often they are involved in financial fraud or large-scale government corruption, settling in wealthy neighborhoods like West Vancouver's British properties. Iranian-Canadian journalist Kamran Malikpour says there are many people living in Metro Vancouver with close ties to the Islamic Republic. I have more than 300 properties that I know I have documents belongs to the families or the persons who are related, who had a position in the Iran government. 300 yes. confirmed properties? Yes. I 300? Yes. You're kidding? No, well, I, could, I could show you 50, 40, 50 right now in one hour.
Malikpour came to Canada in 2012. He says the number of Iran regime associates in Canada is so large, exposing these individuals has become the sole focus of his career. And that work has put him in extreme danger. In September, a top Iranian official reportedly leveled a threat against the news outlet Malikpour works for here, called Iran International. The Iran intelligence minister himself told that Iran International is a terroristic organization. And because of that, we have this right to attack them anywhere, in any country, anytime. Every day when I go out from home, I, I have this feeling maybe this is the last day I'm leaving the home. Both men know that speaking out could cost them everything. But they say Canada needs to know what is really happening. Negar Moshehedi, Global News. And this is only a glimpse into Negar's investigation of how Canada has become a safe haven for people with ties to the Islamic Republic of Iran. You can get the whole story on the new reality tomorrow night at 7. And coming up here on the News Hour, a tribute to the legendary Spitfire. One of my jobs is to build model airplanes. Just ahead of Remembrance Day, a Nanaimo man making sure we never forget the sacrifices of the pilots who flew these remarkable aircraft. And Alpaca Roundup, how Chewy was able to find his way home. An arrest has been made after a poppy donation box was stolen from a Port Moody store earlier this week. The theft was caught on surveillance video on Monday. Staff at the Newport Village store called police when they saw the man cut off and walk away with the box. The suspect left the area before police arrived, but was tracked down yesterday afternoon in Port Coquitlam. Police say the man is in his 50s and is well known to them, and they are recommending criminal charges. Well, the Spitfire is a legendary British aircraft that was a critical weapon in the Allied defense of Britain during the Second World War. Highly maneuverable and reliable, the fighter plane was too much for the German Luftwaffe to handle. And as Paul Johnson shows us, a Nanaimo man has made it his mission to make sure no one forgets. There are historians who will tell you that Nazi Germany wouldn't have been defeated if Britain hadn't won the Battle of Britain. And that victory in that campaign was made possible because of this airplane, the Spitfire. Here we watched one of the few remaining Spitfires taxiing around a Calgary airfield Friday. This one is in Vancouver. But others have a different way of commemorating the legacy of the iconic fighter. One of my jobs is to build model airplanes and I specialize in the Spitfire. The same uniform that he, that he wore in his Spitfire. At the Vancouver Island Military Museum, Pat Murphy has devoted years to making intricate models of Spitfires. Not just generic replicas, but historically accurate models of specific planes that flew and fought, right down to their squadron codes and serial numbers. He's had great response so far. They say they've been in military museums all across Canada and they've never seen a display that was as complete or as big as this one. This guy was a former RCMP constable. Murphy has completed 73 models and each one takes about 45 hours. To understand his commitment, you need to know something many don't know or have forgotten about. 
that 17,000 Canadians died serving in the Royal Canadian Air Force in World War II, and that there were 14 Canadian Spitfire squadrons. Meeting one of those pilots years ago was Murphy's inspiration for the project. Now, he interacts mostly with their families. I've had a, a lot of people um, talk about their relative that flew Spitfires and how it means so much to them to see this, this display. And, I, and I'm glad I can make these families happy to, to, to see a model of their grandfather's aircraft. The uh, Astuka, it's the last uh, model that I've finished. And Murphy's still going strong with the model project. And I've enjoyed every second of it. <laughs> Paul Johnson, Global News. There are growing concerns about a shortage of obstetricians and gynecologists at some hospitals in the interior health region. It's forced officials to transfer some expectant mothers to other hospitals to deliver their babies. Several expectant mothers have been transferred from Vernon Jubilee, and there will be no OBGYN specialists at Kamloops Hospital for several days next week. Interior Health says the vast majority of pregnant patients are still able to deliver at their local hospital. And if a pregnancy is deemed low risk, but unexpectedly turns into a potentially high risk delivery, contingency plans are in place. At the present time, I understand that we have three potential days that are not covered. That would be three days consecutive. The ob specialists have committed to being available for obstetrical emergencies. Health Minister Adrian Dick says part of the problem is an unexpected growing demand for services in the interior and says recruitment work is underway to fill the gaps. Coming up, forget crop circles. How about leaf rings? The man behind this unnatural phenomenon next. And later in sports, a report from Winterpeg where the BC Lions are getting ready for the re-re-re-rematch with the Bombers in the Western Final. It's sound. A lot of people are noticing leafy designs in some Vancouver parks. Well, it turns out it is some unique public art. It's called Rake Mob, a seasonal side project of local designer Nick Rust. Since 2020, he has been raking leaves into very precise circles around the trees from which they fall. People have spotted the designs along the seawall in Vancouver and in Queen Elizabeth Park. But keep an eye out for the designs in a public space near you because with the very windy forecast we have, they will likely be gone by mm -hmm. tomorrow morning, if not already. <laughs> It's not so bad raking leaves if you don't have to pick them up. Exactly. Obviously the way he's doing it, not a bad thing at all. And yes, that wind is going to be an issue, Yvonne. Yeah, we've already seen some of the ferry cancellations. Do keep that in mind leading in towards tomorrow morning. We've got that rain that'll continue into the early morning hours, impacting a Remembrance Day uh, ceremonies, rather. And we've got a significant amount of snow. So here's a swath of moisture. It's all courtesy of a frontal system that's just sweeping its way along the south coast. These are some of the peak wind gusts that we've already seen. The western edge of the island, up to 65 kilometers per hour. Out of the airport right now, we're actually seeing some of those gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. Twasten with the current wind at 43 kilometers per hour. It's a strong southeasterly wind that's just funneling in the Strait of Georgia, so these winds will continue leading in towards the morning. Through the day tomorrow, we could still see some of those winds sustained at 30 and then gusts of up to 50 kilometers per hour with the wind warnings that are in effect impacting uh, along the South Sunshine Coast as well. Some of those gusts between 70 and up to 90 kilometers per hour. Rainfall amounts highest along the North Shore Mountains, extending into Howe Sound between 16 up to 90 millimeters. The Fraser Valley between 
between 50 and 70 and the eastern regions of the island could see up to 50 millimeters and inland as well. And we are going to see another wave of moisture for Sunday night. So we're not out of the clear just yet. The big weather story as well. Prolonged period of snow, winter storm warning, including the Coquihalla, Rogers, Kootenai, as well as the Allison Pass, 20 and up to 30 centimeters taking us in towards our Sunday morning. So check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. Some instability along the north coast tomorrow will give us that slight risk of a thunderstorm. We'll see that snow heavy at times for higher elevations. A bit of instability could even bring us that risk of a thunderstorm leading into the morning and early afternoon. And across the lower mainland, still wet and windy for the morning hours, tapering off towards the afternoon. A nice bright spot on Monday. We're back into a mix of sun and cloud. Tonight's weather window, a snow-capped mountain captured by Guy and Hope. Guys? Beautiful. Thank you, Yvonne. Nice to see those photos coming in from Hope. Okay, RCMP on Vancouver Island have helped bring a wandering alpaca back home. This is Chewy, a three-year-old alpaca who decided to journey around the South Wellington neighborhood, south of Nanaimo, at around 2 in the morning on Tuesday. Officers found the lost alpaca near Highway 1. Using their police vehicles to guide him, they managed to lead Chewy back home. His owner thinks he may have jumped the fence when he got spooked. <laughs> or maybe he was just out for a night on the town, sneaking back home, hoping mom and dad wouldn't notice. Nobody around here has ever done that. <laughs> tell you that. Uh, all right, Squire's here with a look ahead to sports. All right, if the Western final was at BC Place, the temperature would be whatever they turn the thermostat to. But cold weather in Winnipeg is not an excuse for Rick Campbell. God, I was thinking if you're scared of zero degrees or minus two, I mean, I tell our guys too, the C and CFL stands for Canadian, not Caribbean or something. Last year, the Bombers beat the Lions in the Western final. Hopefully, tomorrow, BC will be, oh, we'll have a warmer feeling when it's over. Thank you, Squire. Also ahead tonight, a Canadian edition of Satellite Debris. Speak to me, left. Oh, <laughs> I got snow right up my ass. Merry Christmas. Well, if you're from Winnipeg, zero is probably shirt off weather. That's right. They're tough out there. You know, I'm sure we'll see some people with their... They may have some antifreeze in them, but I'm sure somebody will take their shirt off. Somebody always does. The uh, BC Lions are trying to have a nice November day in Winnipeg tomorrow, unlike last November when the Blue Bombers beat the Lions in the Western Final. Now, BC is coming off a very impressive playoff win over Calgary, but that game was at BC Place. It's a lot different dealing with the cold reality of playing the Blue Bombers in their own backyard. Now, Barry is in Winnipeg, and he has more on the Western Final. Well, it's a beautiful November day in Winnipeg, considering the game time kickoff should be about zero degrees. It could be a lot worse, like say minus 20. It was a lot colder last year, but the conditions will not be an excuse for the Lions. They're really quite perfect. There will be no wind to speak of, relatively warm for Winnipeg in November, and a chance for Vernon Adams and the offense to use the entire playbook against the Bombers. I'm not the toughest guy in the world, but I walked outside today and I, w I was okay. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, so, you know, that's, that's part of the deal. If we want to win tough games on the road, then uh, you got to get over it, the crowd and, and the weather. We acknowledge that they exist, but I mean, come on, minus two, we live in, we live in Canada, so we can do, do that. Yeah, we know uh, playing in November is going to be cold, you know what I'm saying, playing anywhere unless you're in BC Place, you know, so um, 
it's not our first time playing football. We we played football in college in in snow and and all this stuff. So um, they have to play in it too. And you know we just like I said, just that should be ready to go out there and adjust to anything we need to adjust to. The latest odds have the Bombers as five point favorites to beat the Lions. So BC certainly the underdog. Winnipeg trying to get to his fourth straight Grey Cup. That would be a franchise record. The Lions haven't been there since 2011 when they beat Winnipeg at BC Place. And we will have coverage of the Lions on the morning show tomorrow and on the noon show leading up to the 3.30 kickoff. With the Lions at the Western Final in Winnipeg, Barry DeLay, Global Sports. The Canucks are one province over in Ontario and they're not smiling a lot even after winning last night's game in Ottawa. They've developed this attitude of, yeah, we won. But it wasn't perfect, and Rick Tockett says that attitude is necessary because teams will no longer be taking the Vancouver Canucks lightly, just like Toronto won't tomorrow. You know, we got to be careful. Um, you know, we got to make sure we play a 60-minute game because, you know, you know, where whatever where our record is, teams are you know they want to beat us now. It's it's you know it, it's a different it's a different standard a little bit right now it's it's only what 13 14 games in but teams are going to be ready for us and we got to make sure we match that desperation tomorrow at one o'clock ubc will host the university of alberta in the hardy cup at thunderbird stadium the winner will go to the final four in canadian university football this will be the third time the thunderbirds and alberta golden bears have played each other this year ubc won both regular season meetings beating the same team three times in a football season that's never an easy thing to do. Home field for UBC has been an advantage. In fact, they haven't lost at Thunderbird Stadium in seven straight games, stretching back to last season. But despite that, nobody on the Thunderbirds is willing to admit to any sort of edge against Alberta. Yeah, this, this conference is hyper-competitive. You can't take any week for granted. Every Any team can beat any team any week. And when you're talking about, you know, the first and second place finish teams in the conference, it'll, it'll be a shootout, it'll be a good battle. It certainly was a shootout the last time these two were at Thunderbird Stadium, UBC winning 54-37, but that was September, and that's a lot different than games you see in November, especially ones that are playoff games. The T-Birds and Golden Bears have similar philosophies when it comes to playing at this time of year. The blueprint of both is, is to win games in November, run heavy, defense and special teams and when you look at when I look at the Alberta tape and, and know what I know about Alberta there there's a lot of similarities between how that program has been built and how I know our program has been. For the 10 seniors on UBC this is the type of squad they've been building up to one that has a legitimate shot at going all the way to the Vanier Cup a trophy UBC hasn't won since 2015. For me and for everybody who I kind of came in in my class, our first year we went two and six, and that was a painful year. Um, so it would kind of bring it all full circle to be able to win the Hardy Cup in, in my senior year. The Vancouver Whitecaps have announced that backup goalkeeper Thomas Assal has been released. He'll now be a free agent. They also announced they picked up the options for Ryan Raposo, Tristan Blackman, Simon Betcher, Levante Johnson, and Isaac Bomer. There you go. All right. Thanks, Squire. All right, up next, satellite debris with a Canadian twist. Gordon Armstrong here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Gordon? 
Sophie, of course, we are on storm watch tonight. We will keep an eye on power outages and the snow forecast for the mountain passes. As you know, most ferry sailings already canceled for the evening. Also, Burnaby RCMP are trying to identify this woman. They say she's a suspect in a stranger assault late this morning near the Metro Town bus loop. We'll have details on what unfolded. These stories and more at 11 o'clock. Sophie. All right, thanks, Jordan. All right, Squires here. Um, you might have heard a couple of Canadian famous guys are um, in demand yes. in the commercial world. But you know what? I'm going to narrow that focus. These uh, aren't just Canadians. These are lower mainland guys. Oh, yeah, that's right. right. Starting with Burnaby's Michael Buble. <laughs> Clean up on aisle five. <clears throat> Isaiah. Let's go. Product store proof. Yes, I knew that. Hey, everybody. I hear someone tried to push macro for Christmas dinner again this year. Barry. But then I also heard that brown butter and spice dark rum are this year's food flavor trend. There's still loads to do, so bring Mr. Buble your best. Yes, and... Yes. This place looks amazing. And that smells so good. Hey, big cheese. Pick a fifth for the cheese board. They're all so different. This one. Good man. I'm so talented. This way. Yeah. More bump in the rise. You heard him? More bump. So last year. Oh. Now we're talking. Studded with chocolate and candied orange. Well, jingle my bells. That's great. Wow. Those sequins really pop. Quality control going well. He just wants the very best. Here you go, pal. You all right? I think I've just seen Michael Bublé. Okay. Off the night, are ya? No, I'm just getting started. Walking in a winter wonderland. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. I still remember when he set up his boombox right where uh, Yvonne is standing and sang for us one Christmas. Long time <laughs> Christmas. ago no. now. Maybe I'll come back. It was, it was, gotta uh, dig it was up that tape. Yeah. I know, we gotta find that. Okay, so this one is Vancouver's Ryan Reynolds involved. Oh, <laughs> oh no, so silent. Someone needs a hand. Oh, I'm alive! Speak to me, left. Oh, I got snow right up my ass. Merry Christmas. Oh, hello. I'm right, and my damn friend here is left. Yeah, he does that when he gets excited. Lovely. What on earth were you doing outside? Oh, goody. It's backstory time. Picture a little girl, let's call her Lily, on a family trip across the pond. Picture a cold night and loose backpack. Okay. Picture Lily's tears, knowing she may never again feel the warmth of our polyester knit. I feel so empty. What a sad story. Why, thank you. Come on, let's sprinkle you with wow. some MS Christmas magic. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it gets better. Oh, no, that's worse. And here's a feast fit for a mitten. Best Christmas ever! 
This is not just food. This is M&S Christmas food. <laughs> okay, so the last one has absolutely nothing to do with the Lower Mainland. Okay. Just you go through. After you. Shame if it went to waste. Oh, um, yeah. Turkey's ready. Ooh, turkey. Could you pass us the sprouts? <laughs> yep. Denied. What was that? What was in that, you mean? Yeah. yeah. I think it was cranberry stuffed inside the turkey. Oh, wow. Hmm. That is genius. And Wrapped if, in bacon? And if someone does that, better. and when it's ready, it doesn't matter how much mistletoe you're underneath, you're going for the turkey. <laughs> you're going for We're skipping. I understand that. Love can yeah. wait. Priorities. Turkey can't. <laughs> uh, okay. Seek shelter from the wind and other things, and I guess we should uh, likely expect some power outages overnight here, Yvonne. Yeah, that'll be the big story that we're following. It's really the winds that'll take us in towards tomorrow morning. Something to keep in mind for Remembrance Day as well. We could still see some of those winds, 30 in gusts of up to 50 kilometers per hour, leading in towards tomorrow. Nice break on the way as we look ahead towards our Monday. And don't forget we have our special Remembrance Day show coming up tomorrow at 10.30. Yep. Hope to uh, join you for that. Don't forget the national broadcast is earlier in the morning, but uh, looking forward to seeing you at that time. Enjoy the weekend, folks. I know.